going to ask you to be seated in the presence of the Lord. And uh, in uh, a few moments, I'm going to invite the worship team uh, back on the platform to lead us in that song again because it is the crux of what I want us to uh, pray for tonight to believe God for a fresh outpouring of his spirit. And I want to be led by the Holy Spirit tonight to deliver this message the way that um, God wants. Um, this will be the fourth time I'm preaching this message today, and every single service was different. And um, if you know anything about me, I value order, um, and um, I value my notes, and um, because I'm OCD, um, it doesn't always feel great when God changes things up on me, but I have to tell you that all day long in every service, to see God moving and speaking in a very specific way, I've had to just throw up my arms and say, God, it's all about you anyway. And um, so um, I just want to believe that God's going to um, move in a powerful way tonight and um, hopefully encourage all of us to believe God for a fresh outpouring of his spirit. Because, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, the truth is that the world that we live in today and the things that people are going through, with all due respect to our beautiful buildings and our um, gorgeous outfits and our three points and a conclusion and all those wonderful things that make up the body life of the church, here's what I know. If we don't have supernatural power there is no way that we are going to be able to match the onslaught of evil that is in the culture. That's not a value judgment for God so loved the world. And the reason why God has left us, the reason why the church exists is because the way that God is going to communicate his love to a broken, desperate, depraved, crooked generation is through the life and the loins of the local church. And so I'm believing tonight that as we embark on our study in the book of Elisha tonight, that there are going to be some things for us to um, learn, uh, information, but what I'm really hoping and praying for is that there would be an impartation and that we would experience a fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit. Because listen, I want power to match the problems. We're going to look at the life of Elisha. And the thing that minister, ministers to me the most about his life. Is that it didn't matter what problem he encountered. Because he had the power of the Spirit of God on his life, 
he was able to provide a solution to every single problem he encountered. We're going to spend the next six weeks in the life of Elisha on Sundays. Those of you that participate in life groups, you're going to dig deeper into the life of Elisha. And I want you to know right off the bat that every single miracle you read about in the life of Elisha, you're going to see a demonstration of the Spirit's power, listen, resulting in somebody's need being met. And I believe with all of my heart that God wants to baptize us with a power so that whatever problem you find yourself in the middle in, in the middle of, that God may want to use your life to be a solution to that problem. 1 Corinthians 4, chapter 20, if you're taking notes, reads like this. For the kingdom of God is not just a lot of talk. It is living by God's power. Other translation of this verse say that the kingdom of God is not mere talk, but power. That, that, that there's an aspect of the kingdom of God that goes beyond the capacity of talk and moves into the realm of power, into the realm of the supernatural. And this is what we see explicitly in the life of Elisha. As I mentioned, those of you that are just joining us, we're in the middle of a six-week campus-wide series based on the Old Testament character named Elisha. Turn to your neighbor and say, Elisha. Elisha's name is mentioned roughly 59 times in the Bible. And by way of introduction, in my humble opinion, in order for us to fully appreciate the life of Elisha, there is a very important observation that must be noted at the outset of our character study, and that is that Elisha was the protege of the prophet Elijah. Turn to your other neighbor, say Elijah. Two different people, Elisha and Elijah. Elijah was the mentor of Elisha. Are you with me? Elijah was the Mr. Miyagi to Elisha's Daniel son. <laughs> Elijah was the mentor and the spiritual father of Elisha for about 10 years. If you're taking notes, you can jot down 1 Kings 19 because it is here where Elijah and Elisha meet for the very first time. All you need to know is that God told Elijah, I want you to go find Elisha. I want you to anoint him to be your successor. This was God's choice. This was God's idea. This was God's decision. God also tells Elijah to anoint two other people for different offices in the ministry. 
And the last verse, verse 21 says, then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. We learn from scripture that Elisha left his family. He left his farm. He left his fortune. He left everything that represented his future so that he could faithfully serve with the prophet Elijah. We'll come back to the significance of their special relationship in just a few moments. I want you to know that the theme for this series over the next six weeks, all of the people that will preach on the life of Elisha will base it on the theme of a double portion life. Turn to your neighbor and say double portion life. What does it mean to live a double portion life? This is a question that I hope to answer with you together during our time tonight. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to go ahead and turn to 2 Kings, the fourth chapter. This is our assigned scripture reading for this week. Last week, Pastor Monique and Pastor Durso at the Glendale campus and Ryan last Wednesday in the prayer meeting, they did a fantastic job in kicking off the Elisha series and we studied the miracle concerning the widow who almost lost her two sons and we read how God used Elisha in that miraculous situation to help this woman who was in desperate need find a solution to her problem. Today, we now move into yet another miracle in the life of Elisha, and this miracle comes in two parts. Say two parts. We're going to read the first one together right now. One day, Elisha went to Shunem, and a well-to-do woman was there who urged him to stay for a meal. So whenever he came by, he stopped there to eat. She said to her husband, I know that this man who often comes our way is a holy man of God. Let's make a small room on the roof and let's put in it a bed and a table, a chair and a lamp for him. And then he could stay whenever he comes to us. One day, when Elisha came, he went to his room to lay down. Verse 12. And then he said to his servant Gehazi, I want you to call the Shunammite. And so he called her. And she stood before him. Elisha said to him, I want you to tell her, You've gone to all this trouble for us. Now what can be done for you? Now what can be done for you? Now what can be done for you? Can we speak on your behalf to the king or the commander of the army? And she replied, um, I'm good. I have a home among my own people. Hashtag, that's not the answer to the question, but we'll come back to that. 
Verse 14, what can be done for her? Elisha asked. Gehazi said, she doesn't have a son and her husband's mad old. <laughs> then Elisha said, call her. And so he called her. And she stood in the doorway. About this time next year, Elisha said, you will hold a son in your arms. No, my Lord, stop playing. She objected. Please, man of God, don't mislead your servant. Verse 17. But the woman became pregnant. And the next year, about that same time, she gave birth to a son, just as Elisha had told her, look up here. Pretty interesting story, right? Elisha travels. And he always travels through this particular town, Shinnom. And there's a woman in the town, and the, and the Bible says she's well-to-do. The Bible says that she's wealthy. And she notices that this guy is always coming through the block, always coming through her hood. And she offers him a meal. And the reason why she offers him a meal is because she respects him. She, she recognizes that he's a holy man of God. And so out of the kindness and the generosity of her heart, she wants to open her home and to be a blessing to Elisha every time he comes through. Well, this happens for some time, and then... She gets an idea. She says to her husband, why don't we dormer the house? Why don't we add a section to the roof of the house so that when the man of God comes, he doesn't just come and eat. Now he could come, he could eat, and he could stay the night. And so the Bible implicitly tells us that they were able to build the house because the next verse says, Elisha came over and went to his room. Elisha had a room at the crib. And while he's in the house, he's thinking about this Shunammite woman. He's thinking about her kindness He's thinking about her generosity. He's thinking about all the things that this woman has done for him, all the meals she's cooked. And the man of God wants to know what he can do for the woman. So he calls the woman. We just read it in the Bible. And he calls her and he says, what can I do for you? And then he takes a wild guess. He's like, you need me to holler at the king? You need me to talk to the commander? Who you need me to talk to? I got juice. Who you want me to holler at? What you need? I got what you need. And the Bible says that the, that the, the, the Shunammite woman, she, um, she deflects. 
we, we discern from the text that she's not really being honest with the man of God. And we're going to see this play out in the text, but let me just cut to the chase. The reason why she's reluctant to tell the man of God what she really wants, what she really needs, is because she's afraid of getting her hopes up, which means she's really afraid of disappointment. And ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, I am certain this evening that those of you that are in this room, those of you that may be in the sound of my voice, possibly listening to this message on a podcast, that it is possible that you and I find ourselves in the house, find ourselves in the presence of God, find ourselves confronted with the question, what do you want me to do for you? And if we're honest with ourselves, we don't even have the capacity to verbalize what we really want because we're afraid of disappointment. This is where the Shunammite woman finds herself. But I love Elisha's persistence. In other words, if you're not going to answer the question, I'm going to get the answer anyway. And so he turns to Gehazi and says, what does she need? And Gehazi says, she really wants a son and her husband is old. And so Elisha, exercising his spiritual authority, prophesies and says, by this time next year, you're going to have a son. And we just read it in the scriptures, right? He prophesied, a prophet is known if his words come to pass. If somebody prophesies over you and it does not happen, that is a prophet lie. <laughs> but if someone prophesies over your life and it comes to pass, the person who declared it is a prophet. Elisha says, by this time next year, you will have a son. And don't you know, she gets pregnant and she has a son. And that is the miracle, at least part one of the miracle. We pick up the story in verse 18. Now listen to what happens. Verse 18. The child grew and one day he went out to his father who was with the reapers and he said to his father, my head, my head. And his father told the servant, uh, carry him to his mother. After the servant had lifted him up and carried him to his mother, the boy sat on her lap until noon and then he died. She went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God. And then she shut the door and went out. Where does she put the dead boy? Where does she put the boy? Where? In the bed. Where? In the room. She puts him in the bed, in the room. She puts him in the bed, in the room. 
the room that she created for the man of God. Okay? Hold on to that. You with me? Verse 24. She got on a donkey. She said to her servant, I want you to lead on and don't slow down unless I tell you. And she set out and she came to the man of God. And when he saw her at the distance, the man of God said to the servant Gehazi, look, there's the Shunammite. Why don't you run and meet her and ask her, are you all right? Ask her, is your husband all right? Ask her, is your child all right? And listen to what she said. Everything is all right. Everything is all right, she said. Look up here. Is that true? Everything is not all right. Why? Because her son is dead. What do we make of this? Allow me a suggestion. She does not tell her husband that the son is dead. And she doesn't tell Gehazi that the son is dead. I want to suggest to you tonight that sometimes you have to lie to some people on the way to your miracle. Did Pastor Rob just tell us to lie in church? <laughs> Can I say it this way? Watch who you talk to about the matters of your hearts. Stop casting your precious pearls among swine, people that don't care for you, people that are not for you. I love that she has the capacity to say, nah, I'm good. We going to be all right. <laughs> Verse 27, when she reached the man of God at the mountain, she took hold of his feet. Gehazi came and tried to push her away. But the man of God said, hey, leave her alone. She's in bitter distress. But the Lord has hidden it from me. He hasn't told me why. And then she goes to Elisha. And she must have been from Bushwick because she said, did I ask you for a son? Didn't I tell you, don't raise my hopes? Her worst fear, seemingly, her worst fear has come to pass. These are the moments in your life and in my life when we ask God to do something and it looks like it's going a certain way and then it goes another way and we actually experience real loss Real hurt, real disappointment. And even though she has a moment, how many of you have ever had a moment like this? I've had moments like this, bad hair day. Bad analogy. But she has enough sense to get to the man of God anyway. Jawara, come help me on the keyboard, please. Will you, brother? Thank you. All day, man. This brother's been fantastic. Verse 32. So she tells Elisha, my son is dead, and Elisha makes his way to the house. When Elisha reached the house, 
there was a boy lying dead on his couch. He went in. Where did he go in? He went into his room. He shut the door on the two of them, and then he prayed to the Lord. Aren't you grateful that when we find ourselves in dead situations, that we could always go to God and pray? He prays, and he doesn't pray like, like uh, a simple prayer. He, he prays with a, with a level of passion, a level of intensity, because he gets so desperate at one point that the Bible says that he actually got on the bed and he laid on top of the boy and he went mouth to mouth and he went eye to eye and he went hand to hand. And as he stretched himself out on him, the boy's body grew warm. And what we can infer from the text is that his body growing warm is a sign of life. Life is coming back. You ever play that game where you hide something and then people are yelling depending on the direction? You're getting hot. You're getting hot. You're getting cold. You're getting cold. But right when they start moving in the direction, what do you say? You're getting warm. You're getting warm. This is what's happening. It's getting warmer and warmer. Verse 35, Elisha turned away and then he began to walk back and forth in the room. And then he got on the bed and he stretched out on him once more. And then the boy sneezed seven times and his eyes opened. I love this. Elisha comes back to the house and he goes back in the room and he lays on the boy and he begins to pray and he begins to speak life and he begins to prophesy over the situation because for Elisha, this is unacceptable. This situation cannot end in death. And he has the faith and he has the wisdom and he has the capacity to confront a very difficult problem, but he prays to the Lord and he intercedes and he brings the problem to God. And in the middle of that room, we now begin to see signs of life. And when we get to the end of the story, we see the second miracle. And that is that although the boy was dead, because of Elisha's prayers, because of Elisha's intercession, the boy comes back to life. Can someone tell me where did the miracle take place? In the room. Turn to your neighbor and say, in the room. When we make room for God, God will do miracles in the room we make. Allow me to explain. Leave that quote on the screen. Do you have it? No? <laughs> when we make room for God, God will do miracles in the room we make. Look up here. When the Shunammite woman made room for the man of God, I don't think she anticipated that one day a miracle would take place in the room she created. I want you to know that whenever you create room in your life, it is often in the spaces where you make room 
that God will often show up and perform miracles. If you've ever given to the Lord and you've ever tithed or you've ever given an offering, I used to refer to the empty space in my budget as a deficit. No longer. When I choose to give to God, what I'm doing in the area of my finances is I'm making space. I'm making room. And when I make room, God has the opportunity to do a miracle in the space that I created on the ledger on my budget. When you create space in your life, you can go to God and say, God, there's a whole lot of space in my budget for you to do a miracle. There's a whole lot of space in my relationship for you to speak to us. There's a whole lot of space on my calendar so that I can meet with you. Whenever you make room for God, God will often show up and do a miracle in the space you create. I wonder if for some of us tonight, we're not experiencing the miracles we want because we haven't created the room he needs. What would it look like if we made room? Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, is there an area of your life where you know that God has been asking you to make some Maybe it's your finances. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's your time. Maybe it's your quiet time in the morning. Whatever the area is, can I encourage you from the scriptures this evening that whenever we make room, whenever we choose to create space, whenever we choose to trust God, God will often show up in that space and do miracles. Can I say one more thing about this particular? When we gather on Sunday nights at 6 p.m., all of you come into this building, and I'm always touched, always moved by the level of your faith and the intensity of your passion for Jesus. And one of the reasons why I, I know we experience the power of God in such a profound way when we gather is because everyone in this room is on the same page when it comes to making space for God. The moment we just had in worship, every time we inch and we just give God a little room, God will manifest his presence in such a profound way. And if you and I are not careful, we might think that it's Danielle. We might think that it's Jamie. We might think that it's one of the musicians. And the truth is, the truth is, we just made room. We just made room. And whenever we make room, God will often show up in the space we create and often do miracles in that space. I want you to touch your neighbor and say, I'm about to make some room for God in my life. Excuse me. Excuse me. You might want to change your seat because I'm about to make some room for God in my life. I'm about to make some room in my life for God.
Shunammite woman made room for God. Little did she know the room she made would become the space where God would do a miracle. 2 Kings chapter 3, I'm almost done. There's another story involving the man of God. And God says to the people, I want you to dig ditches. God, what do you want me to dig the ditches for? I want you to dig the ditches because I'm going to supply the water you need. But God, I don't hear wind. I don't see rain. God tells them, dig the ditches, create the space, and then I'll show up and I'll do the miracle in the space. Don't you know that after, after, turn to your neighbor, say after, after they dug the ditches, the Bible says out of nowhere, the rain comes and God supplies the water for the ditches. I am pleading with you, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, we can afford not to create the space that God needs, that God wants, that God is asking for. On the other side of you creating space, there is a miracle waiting for you. Are you willing to create the space? God used Elisha to perform a miracle on behalf of this woman. First she was barren, and then she was in distress. And when we study the life of Elisha, if you're going to do a character study on the life of Elisha, you have to ask the question, why? Why is Elisha such a powerful man of God? So far, we've already seen him do three miracles. Last week, a woman is barren. Be like, you're going to be pregnant. She's pregnant. The baby dies. He like, don't worry about it. Baby resurrects. Child resurrects. Why is he so powerful? The answer is tucked in 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 9. Remember I told you that Elisha was the protege of Elijah? On the last day of Elisha's ministry, the, the Mr. Miyagi, the, the G, the man, Elijah, the last day of the ministry on earth, he comes to Elisha and he says, Elisha, what can I do for you? This is the same question he asked the Shunammite woman. Remember the question she couldn't answer? the one that she struggled to answer? Listen to what Elisha says. He says, let me inherit a double portion of your spirit. Of all the things he could have asked for, Think about it. 
If you had one thing to ask for, what would it be? He says, I want a double portion of your spirit. And I said all of that to say this. Every miracle in Elisha's ministry happened on the strength of this moment. When Elisha was given the opportunity to make one request in dramatic fashion, Elisha pushes all of his chips to the center of the table and he says, please give me a double portion of your spirit. Look up here, listen to me, I'm almost done. What doesn't Elisha ask for? He doesn't ask for money. He doesn't ask for a title. He doesn't ask for opportunity. He doesn't ask to be the president of the school of the prophets. He doesn't ask for a written endorsement. He doesn't ask for his house. He doesn't ask for anything earthly. When he had the opportunity to ask for one thing, Elisha said, Give me a double portion of your spirit. I'll take double of the spirit that is on you. I'll take double of the spirit that is in you. And guess what? Do you know that Elisha performed more miracles than anyone else in the Bible except Jesus? Why? Because when he, when he was given the opportunity... This is what I want you to get so bad. This is what I want to get so bad. When he was given the opportunity, he didn't shrink back. He was so audacious to ask for the one thing that mattered most. The one thing that he couldn't live without. Can I belabor this point for just another moment, please? What was he thinking? What am I going to do when my mentor is no longer around? What am I going to do without Elijah? And almost instinctively, he understands what I need more than anything else is the power that was on his life. If he's not around, but I have the power that was on him, we're going to be all right. But that would have been enough except... This is how I want us to pray. Because if it was me, I don't want to be greedy. I don't want to be over thirsty. So I might have said, can I get like 25% like of what's on you? I don't want to be greedy or anything like that. Elisha says, not only do I want what you have, I want double of what you have. Elisha asked his father, his spiritual father, for a double portion. Today I want us to ask our heavenly father for a double portion. Luke eleven thirteen. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. This is my favorite character quality about Elisha. 
but he was audacious and he was courageous enough to ask for a double portion of the spirit can I say one more thing most of you are thinking that's the third time you said that why do I want a double portion of the spirit and this is how I want to pray why do I want Gage to have a double portion of the spirit sister Denise Miller to have a double portion of the spirit and for Dre to have a double portion of the spirit and for Lisa to have a double portion of the spirit and Xavier to have a double portion of the spirit why? why more? here's why every miracle that we're going to study last week, this week for the next four weeks in life groups, for the next four weeks on Sunday, listen we're going to hear miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle and if you and I are not careful we're going to study the life of Elisha and we're going to be enamored that he had the capacity to do miracles and we're going to fall short of the opportunity the reason why he had the capacity to do all those miracles was because when he had the opportunity to ask, he asked for a double portion of the spirit. And if I'm going to apply anything from the life of Elisha, you better believe that I'm asking God for that kind of audacious faith and that kind of audacious courage to find myself in a position to say, God, I want a double portion of your spirit. Why? Because every miracle he did, listen, I'm about to land the plane right here. Every miracle he performed met somebody's need. Let's set aside the miracles for just a moment. He helped the city with a water crisis in the middle of a famine. He turned that bitter water sweet. He helped a widow who lost her husband and almost lost her sons. He helped a barren woman get a son. He helped resurrect her son. And do you know that after the famine, her land was restored with interest after the famine. He helped to make some bad food good again. And he helped a political leader. One of the things that I love about Elisha, and it's what I want for every single one of you, is that regardless of the situation Elisha faced in his ministry, he always demonstrated God's power in the middle of all kinds of problems. I want us to ask for a double portion of the spirit to match the level of problems in our culture, in our time in our day the Bible talks about a group of people called the men of Issachar you know what the Bible says about them it says that they knew the times and they knew what to do I want to be that kind of man of God I want to be able to have so much supernatural power that regardless of where I find myself I could be with neighbors in a laundry room I could be in a New York City park I could be in the middle of a classroom I could be in the middle of a boardroom Regardless of where we find ourselves, I believe that if you and I would be audacious enough to ask for a double portion of the Spirit's power, I believe, listen, that you could be the answer to somebody's prayer. 
We often ask God for miracles in our own life. But what if we prayed tonight for a double portion of the Spirit so that we could be an answer to somebody else's problem, an answer to somebody else's crisis, an answer to somebody else's situation? Not by might, nor by power, but by my Spirit, declares the Lord. And I'll close with this. I want to give you this definition of ministry. It's from Warren Wiersbe. It reads like this. Ministry takes place when divine resources meet human needs through loving channels to the glory of God. Ministry takes place when divine resources meet human needs through loving channels to the glory of God. Let's apply the word of God that we just read to this text, okay? Ministry takes place when divine resources, that's double portion, right? Ministry takes place when divine resources meet human needs. Whose human need was met? A Shinnamite woman. Through loving channels, who was the loving channel? Elisha. Who gets the glory? God. What would it look like if ministry in your life and in my life Look like this. God's power, not your power, God's power flowing through us, meeting human needs, people that are desperate, people that are broken, your friends, your neighbors, your co-workers, through you, the loving channel, the conduit, the vessel, so that God could receive glory in people's lives. Divine power, human needs, loving channels to the glory of God. I don't know about you, but I want to be audacious tonight in asking the Father for the Holy Spirit for others. Could I ask you to bow your heads all over this building? The singers are going to come. Maybe you're here tonight. There's an area of your life where you know I've got to make some room for God. If that's you, with every head bowed and every eye closed, in a moment, I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet so that we can have a moment of consecration together. I know that there's areas in my life where God is saying, Ralph, I want you to make more room for me in this area. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's you, I want you to lift up your hand right now and say, Pastor Ralph, would you pray for me? Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. All over this building, up, 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 up. Every single one of you that lifted up your hand, listen to me. I want you to get up out of your seat. I want you to come forward to this altar so that we can pray together. Oh, do not hesitate. Look at this. For the rest of us, if you're here and you know that you are so desperate for the outpouring of the Spirit of God in your life, listen, so that you could be the answer to somebody else's prayer. If that's you, I want you to get up out of your seat and I want you to come forward. And together, we're going to spend these next few moments 
in the presence of the Lord. I want you to come close. I want you to come close. Make room for those that are coming. I want you to come all the way in and come close. Come close. Come close. Come close. Because what we need more than anything else is a double portion of the Spirit of God. Your life will look different when you receive the power of the Holy Spirit. Your, your leadership will look different when you receive the power of the Holy Spirit. Your relationships will look different when you receive the Spirit. I want you to open up your mouth right now all over this building and begin to cry out to God for the outpouring of the Spirit. I want you to lift up your hands. I want you to open your mouth. I believe right now that even as we make space in this room, in this moment, that God is going to do a miracle for you, that God is going to do miracles in this place because it is the thing that we've asked for. It is the thing that we long for. It is the reason why we gather tonight. We want to see God do miracles in your life. We want to see God do a miracle in our midst. You want to lift up your hands. You want to open up your mouth. And I want you to cry out to God. This is not the time to be quiet. 